Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Happy New Year. Um, the GC that I get to lead, um, we are meeting uh, today at 1245. Um, I'm going to go and pick up Panda Express at 1230, and that's why it's timed at 1245. This past year was a big year for the Kim family. We moved from Pennsylvania to California. The Northeast of the United States was home for much of our lives. And now, in the last month, we've been preparing to move from central, central Dublin eastward. And we look forward uh, to a new and good 2023. The way we think about time is actually in space, according to... Uh, the cultural study discussed in Scientific American by Kenzie Cooper writer. Humans think and express time in terms of space or geography. Thinking of the past year, I think that's behind us. When thinking of today, the present, I point to me, my person, where I'm standing. Thinking of the 2023 year, I look forward to the things that are coming up. Time is thought of in terms of space. A study of the Yupno people of Papua New Guinea showed that they also expressed time in terms of space. The Yupno way of understanding time was that the future was always uphill because they live on an island, on a mountainous island. The Yupno concept of time is not anchored to one's body as the Western one is, but to the world and their geography. Fascinating. Fascinating. See, today's message, as you can guess, is on what the Bible says about time. It's the second in a sermon series, a series of indefinite length as the rate I preach. Who knows when the series will end? From Revelation 1 that was just read, God gives a vision to John revealing himself and of the time when Jesus returns. God reveals himself, verse 4, who is, who was, 
and who is to come. The way God thinks about time is in himself. There's no reference that God uses. Uh, it's not about space or geography, no other person or counting orbits around the sun or the moon. God's not tied to the Greenwich Mean Time, the time at the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, London. Theologians call this God's eternality, God outside of our time. According to Gordon Conwell Seminary, Professor Jeffrey Niehaus, one consequence of God who is and who was and who is to come is that all times are present to God. God existed eternally before he created the cosmos. And when God created, God also already dwelt in the eschaton or the end. And in eternity beyond the, our end. That is why Paul can say of God that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God could choose believers in Paul's time and all those who came after, all those who came after, and this should blow your mind because it blows my mind. Because all time is present to God, he could save all the people who came before Moses, Abraham. All of them were present in his view before the creation of the world. To illustrate, because illustrations are good, if time is on a line, humans move through that line. Past, present, and future. Notice, little sidebar, cultures that write from left to right always begin their timelines with the past on the left and future on the right. Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament Bible, writes from right to left. So their timeline goes from past, begins in the right, and future in the left. Now the Chinese write from top to bottom. You throw everybody off. Here, notice this. Culture, it's us always in the middle. For God, we, for ourselves, we are the reference point. For God, human time is bent around him. Every moment is present. From this sovereign God outside of time comes blessings for our past, future, and present. I assure you, this is not sermon is not anything like Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. The story where the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come appear. No, this is far better. First, what is God's blessing on the past? You'll see it in verse 4 to 6. Grace and peace comes from who is and who was and who is to come. That's referring to God the Father. Scholars say the seven spirits who are there who are before his throne, are referring to God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is God the Son. Here, the Trinitarian God, one God in three persons appear. And if I may channel Christian theologian John Owen of the 1600s, he'd say, God the Father's character is one of grace and peace. God the Son demonstrates grace and peace to create a people. And God, the Spirit, administers grace and peace in Jesus to the seven churches. So what does this mean? So the sovereign God, outside of time, 
outside of time, disconnected from us, becomes flesh through God the Son, enters human time in order to demonstrate grace. Grace is Jesus having freed us from our sins by his blood. So sin is pictured as a master, enslavement. Sin is an enslavement. Sin is taking something other than God to build your entire life on it, but ultimately never gives you joy. Such sin that drives you not only makes your life dysfunctional, it destroys true worship and relationship with God. Your life, your blood, your death is required, but Jesus offered himself as a ransom for that slavery. He offers his blood as substitution, and the believers go free. Now, every believer is set free. Every believer. Nevertheless, like the Israelites in the early part of their desert journey, we think life was so much better back in Egypt under slavery. Food was better. Life was easier. And sometimes we go back to those slaveries, the things that mastered us, the things that enslaved us, Sometimes we still feel guilt and shame from past sins. But every once in a while, the Spirit brings you back to your senses to say that God's grace in Jesus has addressed your past. He has covered over it. There is grace in that past. Could I ask you, do you have a past that won't let you go? That won't leave you alone? Anger, guilt, shame. Your identity is still feel like you're, it's in the past. Something that has happened to you. Something that you did. The thing that you've been thinking about a hundred, thousand times over. See, here's the good news. The positive implication of Jesus demonstrating grace by him entering into our time and shedding his blood, that it is that it was done once and for all in history. You can't go back and change it. I understand all those movies and TV shows, with, you know, especially Korean dramas, if you're into that, they, they go back in time to change some things you know, so that their parents never met or you know, they go back and kill Hitler as a baby or something like that. But I've never seen where they go back in time to prevent Jesus from dying on the cross. That's a new show. Hey, trademark, that's mine. Okay, I get a cut. No. Why? Because it happened in history. There's no change in it. And that's a good thing for us. That's an absolutely good thing. So another implication is that what happened in the past is present for God. Jeffrey Niehaus. That is why Paul can say of God that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight right now. We may still feel guilty. But see, that's just a leftover image of the past. God sees us as holy and blameless in the past, future, as well as present. See, that's grace. That's grace. The sovereign God outside time graces that past with Jesus. That's number one. We've got to go to the second blessing. The second blessing is the future, verse 7. Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. 
Jesus is coming with the clouds just like he ascended, Acts 1.9. This second time, Jesus intrudes into human time. He's coming back not as a killable baby. He's returning as king. You'll see that in verse 5. He is the ruler of kings of earth. Ah, he's the king of kings. Compared to Jesus the king, all the rulers on earth, they're just playing. They're posers. See, Jesus will be recognized as king by all. Even those who pierce his side as Jesus is hanging on the cross, they will recognize. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, here, every knee shall bow, not just believers, in heaven and on earth and under, under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Revelation, there are two groups of people. Those who worship Jesus and those who worship Satan. Now, that's also referring to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. When God curses Adam and Eve, he notes two groups of people. One, the seed of the woman. And two, seed of the serpent. When Jesus the king returns, the seed of the woman, there is much wailing as those who worship Satan and all of his manifestations realize their mistake and feel the dread. What? The king is returning. See, this version of how human history will end with judgment might be disagreeable might be even offensive to some people. Many believe <clears throat> that human history uh, will continue to make progress through self-actualization. You know, pe more people will go to college and have less need for religion. That hasn't been the case. Other thing, others think that human history ends with absorption of the earth by a dying sun. You know, I, I was looking at an infographic. It, show, it shows a polling of what people's opinion are of how the earth will end. <laughs> You know, from mass death of bees. Wasn't that a case a few years ago? Bees were dying. We're going to die. No more almonds. And then, or the AI taking over to nuclear annihilation, climate change, overpopulation. Oh, even zombie apocalypse. Scary. Revelation presents a reality that proves to be much more real. Good and evil will always battle it out. But this is not the good and evil of the Star Wars force that's trying to find balance through nine episodes. No. No, this is really talking about an agent of truth and justice who must come to bring about true, lasting peace. Larry Wilson writes, World War I's terrible carnage was followed by the death toll of Spanish influenza in 1918. We still get flu shots because of that. It is estimated to have killed between 3 and 5% of the world's population. The post-war decades of the 1920s and 1930s were decades of disillusionment and cynicism. Faith in God was questioned and widely, widely and openly questioned. Just two decades later, the world descended into the Second World War. Not long after that war ended, two works of literature appeared that went remarkably against the tide of despair. They were The Chronicles of Narnia, one of the movies I saw last night by C.S. Lewis, and the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. These two men 
both been soldiers in World War I and seen its death and horrors up close. Now, people think that Lewis and Tolkien were writing stories about the past. But no, they were not writing about a time in Middle Earth of the past. They were writing about the evils of their present world. Part of the great appeal of the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings trilogy is that the longing we discover within ourselves for a champion to fight those battles, we cannot fight. Listen to the description of the hero Aragorn at the trilogy's ending. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Listen to the description of the hero Aragorn at the trilogy's ending. What does it sound like to you? But when Aragorn arose, all that beheld him gazed in silence, for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood. And wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. And then Faramir cried, Behold the king. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien both lived in times of despair. In their stories, many are the defeats and great is the suffering that the truest servants endure while fighting for good in this world. In both Narnia and Middle-earth, hope was in the ultimate return of the king. Drop the mic. See, Jesus is that king because he's resurrected. Resurrection for Jesus was not just, okay, he was dead and now he's alive. No. Richard Graffin, professor of, at Westminster, says resurrection was victory, coronation, and ascension to the throne. He's become king. The last battle over Satan, sin, lying, cheating, being cheated, the fear of scammers, fear of politicians, hate, selfishness, self-righteousness, body deteriorating. <sighs> to all of it, Jesus says, I'm king, it is done. There's lasting peace. See, that's our future. Jesus, as the resurrected king, says in Revelation 21, I am making all things new. Oh man, that's good news. So the church in John's time would be thinking, ah, the end is near. <clears throat> it's got to last a few more years. Whatever suffering there is, there is, it will end soon. It turned out the end is not near. The third blessing of a sovereign God outside of time is for the present. We'll see it in verse 8 to 9. Then God himself speaks. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Even though Revelation pulls back the fog to show humanity's future, the greater purpose is really God unveiling to us something for our present. See, that's why who is comes before who was. Normally, I would expect who was, who is, and who is to come. That's the correct order. That is not the order that he presents himself here. He says, who is, who was, and who is to come. He's talking about our present. Verse 9, the present is his concern. And the present in verse 9 says, there's a lot of tribulation. 
Tribulation is a word from the 1200s. Trouble is a word that we're more familiar with. It's also a word from the 1200s, but it gets more use. And Ian Duguid says this in a podcast discussion with Nancy Guthrie. Revelation is about how do I get through this if the end is not near? If there are many more years to go, and if I see family members martyred for faith in Jesus, how do I survive? How do I survive present troubles? For Christians, present is hard. Adulting is hard. Adulting, adulting like Jesus with kids is hard. Raising kids is hard. Life is hard. Life on missions as Jesus sends us out is hard. Just staying fit is hard. For me, for me, just staying awake is hard. I'm going to get a sleep study soon. Stop just, just staying awake in the day is hard. And by the way, some of you are, you know, young. You're really young. Yeah, adulting is hard. You got to pay for everything. You know, I don't know if you know, but, but we got to pay your parents pay for internet three times over. Once on the phone, once at home, and once at work. Three times for the same thing. That doesn't even make sense. But adulting, that's what adults do. We got to pay for stuff. Pay for everything. See, grace in the past feels distant. The peace in the future, it feels a little foggy. It's up in the clouds. But the present is hard. There's much troubles and trials for the Christian and the church. So God, through John, is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And the scholars agree that the number seven is really talking about completeness. So to the complete church for the rest of history, God is encouraging, challenging, and critiquing as they deal with troubles. And there are three categories of tribulation and troubles, persecution, seduction, and stagnation. Let's look at that. Persecution among the seven churches is being thrown in prison or being surrounded by values counter to the gospel and poverty because of discrimination against Christians. Imprisonment surrounded by values counter to the gospel and poverty because you believe in Jesus. It's hard. It's hard. The church has experienced these things. The major downside of persecution is that it hammers away at patient endurance in faith in Jesus. Persecution wants the believer to deny Jesus. Give him up. Give him up. Deny him. It doesn't really help you. But there's actually an upside to persecution. There is nothing else that wakes you up from spiritual lethargy. There's nothing that refines faith in Jesus and lukewarm faith in Jesus than persecution. When persecuted, the Christian realizes that there is no one else who can rescue except Jesus, the Lord Almighty. The other upside is this. Persecution is very apparent. When you get bullied, it's easy to tell. In the midst of persecution, we've got to patiently endure with faith in Jesus. Patient endurance is this. You'll see it in verse 311, hold fast to what you have in Jesus so that no one may seize your crown. What is he saying? Jesus, the resurrecting, the carnate, he has a crown. 
And he's saying, is, you know what? In Jesus, I'm going to give you a crown. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you are promised, okay, you know what? You're going to do the same exact thing. You're going to grind it out every day. Menial task, you know, put, putting this, you know, piece together with this piece. Plug it in. And you're going to do that for 8 to 12 hours a day for the next 30 years. And each year, I'm going to give you $30,000. Some, some of you, you should take it. But to another person, same exact situation, same exact job, but you're promised $30 million after 30 years. You'd be like, oh, better deal, right? Would you endure? First person, $30,000. That's not going to go too much in, in NorCal, especially if you shop at Safeway. You know what I'm talking about, right? No. See, he says, hold fast to what you have in Jesus so that no one may seize your crown. See, many believers in local churches in the world experience persecution. You could hear it through George Sneeman, through Hands at Work, or Voice of the Martyrs, or Operation World. We've got to listen to them. We've got to hear it. We've got to pray for patient endurance of believers. But the church in America, we don't face apparent persecution. You know, you may disagree with me. You probably, you know, like, Fuji, no, we face persecution. Well, email samshin at gmail.com, and you'll get a probably better response. However, the church in America experiences more of the second two troubles, seduction and stagnation. Seduction is going along with worship of false gods, counterfeit gods, especially with sexual immorality. Revelation 2 has... God's letter to the church in Thyatira. He commends them for, actually, patient endurance. But God calls out their tolerance of a self-proclaimed female teacher who is teaching and seducing Christians to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. There are some in the church who are not defending and protecting the church from lust, Desires becoming over-desires and sexual immorality. Conversation between Lisa and I in the past years, every once in a while, it turns to pastors who recently been removed from churches. The reason why we talk about them is because we know them personally. They know them personally or they've impacted us personally. Some were removed because of financial mismanagement but mainly they're removed because of sexual immorality. Uh, this is not far, this problem is not that far from us. When facing seduction, especially sexual immorality, we've got to patiently endure, holding fast to the one that we are married to. If you're a believer, you're united in marriage to Jesus. Chapter 2, uh, verse 25. We're going to move to the third one, stagnation, spiritual lethargy. The letter to the church in Sardis says this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. <laughs> you look alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. He's saying, your faith in Jesus. Yeah, you've been patiently enduring, but your faith in Jesus is about to die. It's a stump in the ground. You've got to revive that. You've got to wake it up. And God commands them in verse, chapter 3, verse 3. This is how you're supposed to do it. Remember then 
what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. This is how you patiently endure and deal with stagnation. Remember the gospel. Obey the gospel. And repent because of Jesus and his gospel. That's how you get out of stagnation. Remember Jesus. Who he is. God's blessing on the church is in the present. <laughs> Look, there's so much in Revelation. But God's blessing on the church cannot be financial security. It cannot be that you go to the college of your choice. That cannot be it. Why? Because he's saying there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trouble. No, God's blessing is patient endurance that are in Jesus, verse 9. But how is patient endurance in Jesus? Because you know this, Jesus patiently endured under human time. God, who is outside of time, intentionally enters. He subjugates himself by being born, aging to 12 years old, having lost a father who probably taught him carpentry, growing up with a single mom, having half-brothers who didn't get him when he was growing up. Then we see him as a 30-year-old starting public service, dying at 33, not due to age or disease like us, but his side pierced, blood spilled for a crime that he did not commit, forsaken by God the Father. You see, in Revelation, God wants us to see Jesus in a whole different way. See, as the vision to John continues in verse 12, John turns to see the voice that was speaking to him. I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head are white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. See, while God was been, has been revealing himself throughout history and scripture, here in Revelation, he pulls back the curtain or the clouds, if you will, to show himself really. Who is he really? The God who created in Genesis 1, who is he really? You'll see it in verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God in vivid color. In glorious, sensory, sensory, saturating glory and brilliance. This is 1080p. We grew up with what? 480p television. I remember watching black and white television in Korea, 1974. We, wow. When there was 1080p, it was glorious. Glorious. And then now 4K. 4K. And now you can buy an 8K television. Can you believe that? 8K television. Oh, not just 8K television, ladies and gentlemen. HDR. HD. High dynamic range. For those of you, you're not feeling me. But some of you, yes, you are. Yes, you know what HDR is, right? Not just HDR. HDR 10. Look, this is God in vivid color not black and white no no 
See, scholars say alpha and omega means two outside poles in a spectrum that covers everything in between. See, he's not just the beginning of the past. He's not just the future. This is everything in between. Some Americans say A to Z, meaning the full range of things. As seen on Amazon boxes, Harry, show it to him. A to Z, meaning we offer you a wide, the widest range of products. No, God who was, who graces people in the past, is, yes, he is. God who is to come promises a future, future of peace. But no, he's God who is. Sovereignly working to save his people. Not just outside of our time, but God's sovereign in our time. <clears throat> in our time. To be the Almighty, to do what he pleases. Could I ask you, do you have a vision of Jesus? Do you see him for who he is? Do you see that he patiently endured for you? Do you see that he's sovereign God? See, when you see Jesus like this, you get the gospel. That God outside of time gave that up to enter into the limitations of our time, to our mortality, to die. So that those who are limited by time, sin and death, can experience eternal life. Grace for the past, peace for the future, and patient endurance now in the present. For those who believe for the first time, would you believe? Would you see Jesus? Would you believe him for the first time? And would you trust him for the thousandth time? Because if we do, we will get it. If we really see Jesus, this is our response. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's worship. We're going to go to the Lord's table to tangibly and spiritually be reminded of Jesus' patient endurance even unto death. Father, we thank you. We thank you for you revealing, unveiling yourself and that in Jesus. Give us, give us that vision that we need for now. And even as we uh, take the, the bread and the wine, would you warm our hearts with Jesus. In his name we pray.